Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. Today, we're going to meet with an advisor who is doing everything that we have talked about on the show really since the beginning four years ago, which is you have to have a niche, you have to know how to market to that niche, you have to stick with that niche, and you also have to believe and have a good story in order to fulfill the understanding of that niche that you are actually really part of their tribe. And Russ Thornton is our guest today. Russ, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Matt. Excited to be here. All right, brother. You, first off, let, let's talk about the story. I want to know why, tell us what your niche is and then why is that so important and, and how do you use that story to communicate to clients and prospects? My niche is women in their 50s to, and 60s who are planning for or transitioning into retirement. And frankly, it's, it's evolved a little bit over the years, but about, uh, it's been seven or eight years ago now, I kind of took a moment, looked up and saw that I was working with more and more women. I was either working with a, a happily married couple, the husband passed away, I continued working with his surviving spouse. I was uh, getting introduced to more and more women who were divorced, widowed, just single by choice, whatever the case may be. And I really loved the work. I loved working with women. I have been told because I've asked that my communication style, my approach to financial advice really resonates really well with women. So I just kind of embraced it. Pair that with my personal story, which is about the time I was coming out of college, which is eons ago. My mom and dad went through uh, what turned out to be a pretty nasty divorce. And long story short, my mom got a lot of assets, a lot of alimony, a lot of child support for my two younger brothers who were still at home at the time. And through some poor decisions on her part, but more importantly, the evident lack of any good financial advice she received along the way. Today, she's in her mid-70s, and she actually had to declare, declare bankruptcy a few years ago. I've seen what could have been a very different, much better outcome kind of go off the rails. So that combined with kind of my natural market of really enjoying and finding myself working with women, I just kind of jumped in with both feet. Your website, everything that you have that markets your practice really does have the right look and feel to communicate to that audience. But I just, I have to play devil's advocate here a little bit. You're not a woman, right? So so talk about that a little bit, because, we, you know, we have a bunch of clients who have existing podcasts with us who are women who focus on 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 women specifically because they're part of the tribe. How did you get led in, dude? Again, I um, maybe I'm just stubborn or um, just uh, not that bright, but I just I, again I kind of jumped in with both feet. So okay. I am sure I'm I'm absolutely positive that there are women that maybe get referred to me or stumble across my website and they're like, you know, I like what Russ is saying, but I'd much rather work with a woman. Gotcha. And hey, that that's cool. I can't serve everyone, nor nor do I even want to attempt to. I've met plenty of women that have said, yeah, you're exactly who I want to work with. Not because I'm a guy, not because I'm not a woman, but apparently my messaging, my brand, my style uh, appeals to them, resonates with them. And so here we are. I think it could be a, an issue. 
if I let it be an issue, but I haven't. But that's the thing. That's why you'd like walked right into this, brother. And this is where I was hoping you'd go because your brand communicates that so clearly that it doesn't necessarily matter because you are using the right language, the right look and feel. How did that happen? How did you come up with the brand? Who did you work with? Because really, when you all have a chance, and we'll have a link to your website in the show notes, which, by the way, is wealthcareforwomen.com, you got to go there and just experience the site. How did you get that stuff done? I mean, I have advisors, Russ, who would die to have that level of transparency and focus with their website. So let's talk about the branding experience. How did you do it? Who did you work with? What happened? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very flattering and, and nice to hear. As I mentioned earlier, it, it's evolved over the years. It started, actually, my niche started very, very singularly focused on women going through divorce. And that's still a, a source of a lot of clients based on relationships I built with uh, divorce attorneys and other professionals that kind of uh, operate in that environment. But over time, for a variety of reasons, I've kind of lessened my focus on the divorce niche and more towards kind of this pre-retiree woman. During that process of, of, of evolution, my branding, my messaging, my even my look and feel of my website else, uh, and elsewhere where I'm, where I'm publicly visible has evolved as well. So in the uh, most recent iteration, I got um, a lot of help from a designer, actually a, a gentleman over in Sweden. Oh, his website and his firm is called cultmethod.com. Can't recommend him highly enough. Super talented, a wonderful guide in going through the process and thinking about kind of your ideal client persona, their questions, their concerns, how you can address them. I, I had a lot of a lot of help, uh, a lot of trial and error uh, over the years, but here we are, and uh, I'm I'm really happy with kind of the look and feel and the vibe that that I've got going right now. And we will make sure, by the way, that we put the link to uh, his website or their website in our show notes also, because, again, I think that there are a lot of people who call themselves branding experts, but they really miss communicating the feeling. And especially if you've got such a highly focused niche, you have to have your stuff feel like that niche. Okay, let's talk. Okay, so there's your branding thing. You worked with a super awesome person. It's been iterative, which is also super important, Russ. I want our audience to pay attention to that because this wasn't just a, you just stroked a check and this, it just happened, right? This has been years and years of work. You're playing the long game on your marketing and your messaging, but I want to talk more about your marketing because you're also doing some different stuff there. You were way ahead of the game with podcasting. You also do some other stuff with media. So let's talk about that. From my perspective, I don't know that I, I feel like I was early innings with podcasting because I know uh, other, other folks, yourself included, uh, the work you and Kirk do, other advisors like Roger Whitney or Benjamin Brandt that have been kind of at the podcast game, what feels like forever. But in the spring of 2020, right around the time COVID was kind of becoming a thing, I decided to start a podcast. I started it with the intention of just giving another myself another channel to communicate with with would be clients, but also I'm sorry, yeah, would be clients, but also my current clients, mm -hmm. uh, center of influence, things, things, people like that. And the initial format was just kind of me picking a topic and kind of talking into the void. I did that for a little over a dozen episodes and I kind of got burnt out, frankly. I, it just wasn't interactive enough for me. So I took, a, I took a break and in 
earlier this year, I fired it up again with a new format, which is interviews. So now I reach out to other professionals, other advisors, other people that A, I find interesting and B, I think could maybe shed a unique perspective on challenges, opportunities related to women in retirement. So it's called Women's Retirement Radio. I'm having fun with it now. I'm up to episode, I think I just published episode 40 earlier this week. Um, yeah, having fun with it. So uh, so that's been great. In addition to the podcast, I do I write uh, a weekly email newsletter. So I write it. It's kind of my, it's just a nice kind of very, almost feels an intimate way to communicate with people on my list. So I'm just sharing like my thoughts about current events or a trip my wife and I took recently and maybe something I pulled away from that. So it's a way for people to get to know me beyond the beyond the the business rust. They get kind of get to, a peek into my life and who I am and how I um, see and think about the world. And then I always try to tie it into financial planning, investing, retirement planning for women, all of the kind of usual suspects when it comes to the work we do. And I've had a blast with that. And then the the third piece is I write on my website. I'm active on social so those are the main the main kind of pieces of my outbound marketing, if you will. Okay. First off, speaking into the void, we've talked about that a lot in this podcast. Uh, it's solo casting is very hard to execute, and it is also very you, your burnout rate gets really high. In fact, uh, you made it longer, Russ, than most people make. Uh, most people it's about five podcasts, and then they tap out. They're like, I just can't do this anymore. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And I also want to highlight what you just said there about when you you're bringing on guests because you're having fun. Our clients, when they get out of, so we have nine podcast growth tactics here. And the second and the third one really have to do with interviewing other people. One is centers of influence. The other one's lifestyle, which you're doing both, which I know. Um, it changes, right? Because then you don't have to show up with 900 talking points. You've got 10 questions, right? And you're going to be picking the brain of people who you like and respect and trust and know are going to be able to provide great information to your clients and prospects. Now, are you finding that when you bring on these experts that you're interviewing, do they share your podcast with their network? So I have kind of begged, borrowed, and, and stolen from others that have gone before me. I've basically created this set of, of email templates. So everything from an invitation with a Calendly link to a link to a Google Doc that says, here's the format of the show. Here's the typical talking points or questions I might ask you. It, it basically is kind of paint by numbers. Like, mm-hmm. I'd like for you to join me. Here's the format. Schedule here, and it's off to the races. After that, I'll say, you know, hey, thanks for thanks for joining me. When it goes live, after I go through the compliance review process, et cetera, et cetera, I'll share the links. Would love for you to share it with your audience. I'll, I'll give you the code to embed it on your website if you so choose, et cetera, et cetera. I also, I also ask them, hey, give me a, a tip. How, how can I get better at this? And the second one is, give me one or two other people you think would be great guests for my podcast. Yeah. And I've got a couple other follow-ups, including one, you know, inviting them to leave a, um, a review. Yes. So I've kind of built out this process. I would say, Matt, that I would say probably 60, 75% of my guests so far, I've actually seen them share it onto social or elsewhere. Um, In fact, something cool happened just this last week. I had a podcast guest on. We just recorded. It hasn't even published yet. After the podcast wrapped, after we had our conversation and recorded it, he sent an email and said, oh, by the way, I was just talking to one of my clients. He's a divorce coach. I was just talking to one of my clients who I really think should talk to you. Uh, I'm going to have her give you a call. Uh, And she literally went to my website and scheduled a call that same day. Another great story is a few months ago, 
Uh, I had a, a local Atlanta divorce attorney who's a friend of mine on the podcast. She actually posted, embedded the podcast on her firm's website. She emailed me last week and said, I just had a client schedule a consult with me. And they said one of the reasons they did it was because they heard the podcast. She said, if I can, I'm going to try to steer the soon-to-be ex-wife your direction because I think she'll need your help. That doesn't happen every time, but that's, sure. that's, that's kind of cool. Now, let's talk about time because you brought up two other things that my my listeners and people who are going through our discovery process ask me all the time. How much time does this take you, Russ? The podcast specifically or just kind of? A whole nine yards, brother. I'm talking in a month, how many hours does it take you to get the guests, edit the show, get your summary, get it through compliance, all of those things? Have you, have you broken that down? I I have not sat down and um, kind of gone through it with a fine-tooth comb. I would say, however, that it probably takes me about, per episode, probably about two to two and a half hours. Okay. I'll be the first to admit I take the simpletons approach because that's how I operate best. I tell I tell guests up front I'm not editing. I, I say so like hey if you stumble across your words or the dog's barking, hey that's cool. Just yeah. take a take a pause and we'll keep going. So I don't edit. So it's really the time to record which is my episodes are typically around 45 minutes. Okay. Um I send it to rev.com uh, to get transcribed. Mm-hmm. I give the transcription to compliance, which that's pretty turnkey. And then it's just basically scheduling, uploading the, the episode, putting the show notes together, um, uploading the transcript. So yeah, I would say between including prep, schedule, recording time, the little bit of post-production I do and getting it uploaded and scheduled, it's it's probably closer to two hours, actually. Okay. All right. Compliance. That's the other thing. Now, you are a part of an RIA, which generally helps because they're, but it's a large RIA. So, have you gotten any pushback, especially when you're interviewing guests, because you don't provide tax or legal uh, advice as a financial services professional? Do you have to write specific disclosures or disclaimers? Do you do those? What what happens there? Talk me about. Talk to us about compliance, please. First of all, my my compliance. So I, I work for a, an RIA called Wealthcare Capital Management. My compliance team has been wonderful. They they've they've been very flexible, very accommodating uh, to all forms of marketing, both current and past. I would say nine and a half times out of ten, I get a podcast transcribed. I send them the transcription, and they typically approve, turn it around in a day, and say, "Oh, you know, you're good to go." Every cool. once in a while, they'll say. Hey, because you talked about this, we need to maybe update your disclosure. So I've got a I've got a short, less than thirty second spoken disclosure that I tag on to the end of every episode. Yep. And then every time I upload an episode, at the bottom of the show notes page is a link to the disclosures page on my website. Got it. I'm kind of crossing the T's and dotting the I's. But yeah. as far as the process, they don't compliance has not been an obstacle for me. Okay. They've been very much a partner in kind of helping me do the things I want to do, but do it right. Which, which I, I know I'm blessed to be in that situation because that's not always the case. But yeah, so far, compliance has not been a, a prohibitive at all. Well, it's also probably because you're not saying stuff you're not supposed to, right? And I just, I have to go back to that for everybody, right? You're not giving specific financial advice. You're not talking about stocks, bonds, and mutual funds directly. You're not talking about guarantees or percentages of rates of return. And when I hear this, when I hear a compliance objection, which actually, luckily, our industry is starting to get to the point where they realize, Russ, people got a podcast, right? This is a medium that 
so many advisors want to do that they have to figure it out. And, and you also said something that's super important because I just had this happen, Russ. I was on a call with an advisor about a month ago and through a coaching program that he was in, he was referred to somebody who's like, oh, I can do your podcast for you. And he's like, great. And it was a ridiculous price. Well, it was he really got what he paid for because he started uploading his podcasts and he was an RIA, but he had no transcripts. So he had nothing to file, no documentation. Because here's the thing, everybody, compliance or the SEC, it's not going to listen to your 45-minute episode. They're going to read a transcript because most of us can read much faster than we can listen. The fact that you are uploading the or giving them the, the compliance transcript, which is fantastic. The fact that you're not saying the stuff you're not supposed to, brother, is really, really important. And I like that you're doing it raw. So I want to wax philosophical with you about that a little bit more. You said that was kind of out of necessity because that's your style. But have you gotten any feedback from any listeners or centers of influence that they wish that you would do more in post-production? Or are you just good enough at this now where it's it's bookended, bam, bam, start to finish. And well, I'm sure it's all not that good at, at it. I mean, I'm <laughs> I, I'd like to think I'm getting better. Sure. I've still got a lot to learn. I've, I'm only, like I said, 40 episodes in. This is something I envisioned doing for a long time. So I'll hopefully continue to improve. My conclusion, Matt, was that I could I could hire someone like Proud Mouth or another uh, firm to uh, to do this for me. But in my mind, that almost removes a little bit of the accountability. Sure. For 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 me seeing things through. And this is not how everyone should approach it, clearly, but this is kind of how I think about it. I, I like to just kind of have this turnkey process. And at this point, this may change in the future, but at this point, I'm very comfortable just kind of putting myself out there, including stumbling or sneezes or the dog barking or whatever the case may be. Uh, I've not gotten any feedback from anyone that says that really sounds like rookie or sure. amateurish or anything like that. I'm sure it does. Well, I'm going to pause you there because it doesn't. Because I did listen to a couple of, of snippets of your show. I wanted to hear your voice. I wanted to hear the production quality. I wanted to hear the, some of the things that we do in post-production. There is, there is something to be said about having it be raw. In fact, this was a major shift for our organization about, about a year ago, where we ended up not editing out as much as we did before, mostly because it's got to have, it's got to be you. If this is how you speak and you sneeze and you cough and you breathe, well, then guess what? That's what should be in your podcast. Now, if there's any major issues, we take that out, lawnmowers and stuff like that, dogs barking, there are ways to take that out in post-production. But the fact that you're looking at this you said something and, and man, I have to highlight this. I want everybody to listen to this. He said, I'm only 40 episodes in. Only for, he said, only 40 episodes in. So many of you were eight episodes in, 12 episodes in, or thinking that you should be printing money with your podcast. That's not how this game works. The, this is a long-term marketing play, especially when you're trying to embed yourself into a niche like Russ has done. Now, have you tracked and you, you maybe you don't, those referrals that have come in. So let's talk about the quantification of ROI of your four hours a month, right? So out of that time that you put in, what have you gotten out of this? The first thing that I've gotten out is just another way to help clarify my own thinking. As I mentioned, I, 
I would love to be able to tell you and all of our listeners that people are beating down my door to work with me because they heard podcast episode number 17. And I just, I said something so eloquent. They just want to throw their money at me. That has not been the case. I doubt it ever will be. I'm really kind of scratching my own itch. I know in my heart that I can always get better at, at communicating. And the way I approach it is communication comes from clarity of thought. Writing, speaking just helps me kind of think out loud, oftentimes with a guest, and it helps to crystallize my opinions, my thoughts, my stance on one issue versus another. I think it just helps me be a better advisor. Beyond that, I've gotten some, as I mentioned, I got a couple of emails. I got a couple of fairly direct referrals that said, hey, because of this conversation, here's someone you need to speak to. I think it's, it's, At this point, it's still fairly difficult to connect all the dots to say you did this episode with guest XYZ and six months later, guest XYZ gives you a referral. Mm -hmm. Well, was it because of the episode or was it just because goodwill or or what? I I see the podcast as just kind of help building my online persona, making me more easily discoverable by potential prospects, by people that are referred to me who want to kick the tires and see and hear who I am before they reach out. Mm -hmm. It helps build credibility with uh, other professionals, centers of influence, people I've invited to be on the show. So I see it as more of an indirect marketing channel than a direct one. So it's not, I don't, I'm not expecting results like running in a paid ad on Facebook or sending direct response mail or, or things like that. I see it as just one piece in a larger army of content that I'm trying to put out there um, into the world that'll hopefully help attract the right people to me. And it should be. You're absolutely correct. The, the the podcast should be part of an integrated marketing plan, which is exactly what you have. You've got a very specifically branded website. You've got your newsletter that's going out. You're interviewing people. You're doing other writing. All of that stuff working together is why you're finding overall success. But I think I, I would challenge you to say when you do get a new client uh, coming in the door or a prospect who you're taking through your process, asking them the question, by the way, I just, I'm looking at how you got here, even if it was from a a COI referral, did you have a chance to listen to our podcast? You know, have you been to the website? Just ask some of those questions on, and and you don't have to do this verbally. You can actually do this on a form because that's where a lot of my clients, our clients here at Proudmouth will ask that question through their discovery process. You know, how did you hear about us? Were you referred to us by somebody? Have you listened to our podcast? And what we're doing there is we're saying, have you listened to the podcast? Because then they're gonna be like, well, of course I listen to your podcast is why I'm here. Or oh my God, I didn't know you had a podcast. And so therefore they're going to listen because as you said, it is a great client communication tool. And that's part of the return on investment that I don't think a lot of advisors pay attention to retention of existing clients, right? They get to hear you all the time, Russ, right? Oh, it's Russ. I love that guy. And that's the sort of stuff that I think podcasting can do. And also your newsletter. Guys, he's not using a canned newsletter here. This is Russ writing, sitting down and having the discipline to do that, which we know and you know is the most powerful thing because that's your voice. Okay, to wrap things up today, so you're an advisor. What should I have asked you about this whole process that I didn't? And, And what sort of advice or words of wisdom would you pass on to other advisors pertaining to how you market and, and how you've chosen to execute this? That's, that's a big question, Matt. Having, having listened to many of your podcast episodes, I know, uh, I know that you and Kirk have both been pounding the table for 
pages about the power of a niche. I would like to underline that and highlight it um, and put it in bold and italics. Thinking back to my earlier days as an advisor, arguably anybody with a pulse and two nickels to rub together is a potential client. And I looked at the world that way. And for me, that was really overwhelming because it's like, all right, well, I'm sitting down at my desk on a, on a Wednesday. How, how do I spend my time today? Where, where do I spend my resources, my energy, my money to market my practice? It, it felt like shooting like the, the biggest shotgun in the world and just hoping something fell out of the tree. Whereas today, I feel much more clear and focused. I mentioned earlier about like crystallizing my thinking through speaking and writing. There is no better way to crystallize your marketing than by having a niche. Because now instead of the overwhelming thought that the entire world is your potential target market, now you narrow it down, which narrows down your choices, which is much more liberating. And frankly, it's just, it's a lot less burdensome and a lot less stressful because now when I sit down, I know the types of people I want to talk to. I know how I want to talk to them. I know what I want to write about. I know what their questions are, what their fears are, what their concerns are, what they're anxious about. I know to, to a degree, and I've asked a lot of feedback to get this, but I know, you know what they read, what they watch, things like that. I can speak much more directly to the people that I want to serve. And I no longer have to grapple with this feeling of I have to be all things, all people because I don't. And that's a really cool thing. Now, I've been an advisor for 28 years. It took me a long time to sure. kind of relate to, to A, to come to that conclusion and to B, to actually accept it and to embrace it. I'm not saying it's it's easy. I'm not saying you go out tomorrow and flip a switch and life becomes simpler and people line up to work with you. It's not quite the way it works, but I think it's a powerful, important step in the right direction of making your life easier as an advisor. And it allows you to better serve your clients because you know them better. They're going to share more of the same issues, challenges, common problems. So you don't have to recreate the wheel every time you sit down in front of somebody. So I could I could wax on philosophical about this ad nauseum, but I would say um, just in a kind of a closing thought that I cannot understate uh, or overstate, I should say, the importance and the, the liberating feeling that comes from selecting a niche and, and just going, going after it. And that does not mean you can't work with people outside your niche. I still get referrals to people that are not women, are not in their 50s and 60s, and are not getting ready to retire. But then I can make the decision, do I want to work with them or not? I would say that's, uh, that's an important thought I'd like to leave with, uh, with our listeners today. That's fantastic. I love the fact that you said working yourself into a niche is not a light switch. So many people think that, oh, my God, I, I, this means I have to change everything. No, it doesn't. You're going to start making gradual steps towards focusing more and more, much like you have over the last 20 something years. Right. And the simple fact that if somebody is referred to you that isn't within your niche, that doesn't mean that you still don't have to work with them or don't work with them. But it is a choice instead of something that is you have to take anything that fogs a mirror. The last conference that I was at, like a broker-dealer conference, uh, I remember there was a panel of advisors, Russ, that were up on stage. And every one of them, there are like 12 up there, every one of them but one said what you just said there. That the reason why I'm a top producer, the reason why I have a great quality of life, the reason why my team is I don't lose team members is because, you know, they all understand the focus and the expectations and all of that. And it all the, the beginning part of that was really focusing down, honing your message and getting a niche. And finally, my little closing thought here is this. 
What Russ is doing is something that very few of you do, which is practicing regularly his craft. And he does that through writing and through podcasting. When you have the opportunity to rehearse answering questions, asking questions, um, honing your talking points, what we have found is that this is a magnificent medium to do that in because one, it's forgiving, two, it's endearing, and three, it's wildly intimate. But very few of you are taking the time to, to practice, to make sure that your message is continuously evolving and getting better, stronger, faster, and better. So with that, Russ, thanks, brother, for spending some time with me today. I appreciate it. This has been fun, Matt. I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity to join you. All right, everybody, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do. And I know I think I've said this a couple of times, but I would love for everybody uh, who's listening to just take two seconds and give us a quick review on whatever player that you're listening. More and more that helps us get discovered, which I think you all know that the more advisors that can listen to something like this, the better marketing there's going to be and the more people our people can help, which is the ultimate goal of what we do in marketing and what you do as an advisor. And finally... If you have not followed uh, me on uh, social media, on LinkedIn specifically, please do follow the company and please check out wealthcareforwomen.com and check out what Russ has got going on because it's freaking awesome and he's doing a great job. So for Russ and all of us here at Proudmouth, this is Matt Haller and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to know more about how you can be your own loud, visit us at proudmouth.com and sign up for the Pod Rocket Academy. Through courses and office hours led by professional podcast producers and digital marketers, you will learn everything you need to know to become the trusted subject matter expert you were meant to be.